Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. You have your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 3. Uh, in fact, uh, it's on the screen as well because we got a lot of scripture to cover. So we're just going to jump right in this morning. John chapter 3, starting in verse, in verse 1, it says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replies, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And this is a verse that we all probably know, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, let me just stop right there because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The implications of John 3:16 are so vast because eternity is at stake. But God loved the world so much, and I just need to tell you that when you make the decision to follow Jesus, your eternity has been paid for in the kingdom of heaven. And can I tell you, since February 12th, 2012, this church has seen 5,000 people say yes to Jesus. Their eternity is secured in heaven because God so loved the world. Those 5,000 people, that's families, that's generations, that's architects, that's future pastors, that's kingdom builders. That's not just a number, that's a person. And their eternity is secured because God so loved the world and they have eternal life in him. And verse 17, for, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light 
and will not come into the light for the one who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. In our last verse, but whoever lives by the truth, the truth of God's word comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, I know it's a ton of verses to kind of start off your Sunday morning and you're only three cups of coffee in, but we are talking about today a night and day faith. Let me pray for us before we start. God, we come before you. We thank you, Father, for who you are. Father, we thank you for the 5,000 sons and daughters, God, that have professed their faith in your son, Jesus, God, and because of their decision, their eternity is in heaven. Father, we thank you, God, that we can worship you in this place. Father, I pray that even as we read these words, God, you are starting something inside of our lives. And Father, I pray that during our time together, God, that that would be completely revealed to us. Father, we thank you. We worship you. And it's the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you this. Are you a nighttime or a daytime follower of Jesus? Are you a nighttime or a daytime follower of Jesus? Now, now that might be a weird question, but what we just read in John chapter 3 was there is this distinction. In fact, the, the writer of John, which is John, the Gospel of John, he, he writes in such a way that he picks out words and he uses uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that is using him to, to write these words to preserve it for us. There's a lot of things that he, he makes a complete distinction about that we really need to pay attention to. In fact, even at the beginning, if you go to John chapter 1, just a few pages before, he pulls out uh, the creation story and is quoting things within Genesis, but he's talking about this light and this darkness. And the distinction between them, and he's like, hey, Jesus is the light of the world. And if you keep reading through, through John, you can't keep reading without seeing that there's this distinction between light and dark, night and, and day. That there's something to it. And so this story, even that we just read, there, read there, there's a tension between light and dark. Because our friend Nicodemus, as we, we just read in John chapter 3, verse 2, says this, that he came to Jesus when? At night. And so he came to Jesus at, at night. And I think that's, that's so interesting, because who was Nicodemus, right? He was this Pharisee. He was this, this Jewish uh, ruler in the courts. Like, that's, that's who he was. But he comes to Jesus at night. And you might not find that interesting just to, to read it, but why, I've, I've questioned sometimes, like, why wouldn't John just write, he met, came to Jesus? Why did he have to put the distinction there of night? Like, and what is so significant about coming to Jesus at night? See, the Pharisees, they were in position of power. And so knowing that, now we have this person in a position of power who's coming to Jesus at night. And what's the difference between nighttime and daytime? Obviously, visual, there's a visual difference between night and, and, and day. But I begin to wonder and ask this question, like, what are, what's the difference within these activities? I think about daytime activities, right? The only reason why you mowed the lawn is because you could see your neighbor was mowing the lawn, <laughs> right? It would happen in the day. If it happened at night, you'd be like, I don't even know what's going on. You wake up, and you're like, what? Lawn's mowed? 
Honey, I gotta go. You know, like it's time to, to go, right? The things we do during the day, it's safe to say we do them because we don't care if anyone sees us or not. There's a difference. There's a difference between what you watch during the day versus what you watch at night. Commercials are different during the day than they would be, be at night. And what happens at night, you can kind of shift with the shadows. Things can happen, and maybe somebody can see the activity, but they don't know who's behind the activity. You can kind of hide a, a little bit. You, see, you get the salad for lunch, but at midnight, you ain't grabbing a salad, are you? And if you are, we will pray for you. Our prayer team will be down up front. No, you're grabbing the Snickers, the Twinkies, the donuts, whatever was left over, and you're grabbing it because you don't want to have anyone see, so you just kind of sit and you leave the bowl out. But, you know, other than that, maybe you put it in the dishwasher. But, like, there's a difference not only in what you do, but the mindset behind why you do it. Things we do during the day and things we do at, at night are 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 different, and so it, it's okay to ask the question, why would Nicodemus come at night? And see how John writes is so, so beautiful because he's writing and he's not just making this distinction of night as in night and day, but he's also talking about a different kind of darkness, a different kind of, of night, something that's more internal. And the mindset behind doing something at night versus doing something at the day during the day is different. So why would Nicodemus come at night? In fact, let me ask you this. Why would you come to Jesus at night? What, what, are, what is maybe something you're afraid of, but you're still maybe coming to Jesus? I think it's safe to say, I'm gonna put a few of these on the board, but you could probably, this is not an exhaustive list, but, but one of the reasons why you would come is because maybe you are afraid. There's, there's fear in your life. And so you come to Jesus at night. Maybe you're afraid of family. And that by you showing up, even coming in here, this is kind of like your, your night because you can kind of come in. And if I know if I go after the first song is done, it's going to be a little bit darker and I can beeline. I can get to the seat in the back and no one's going to actually see that I'm there. And although it may be physically daytime, but you are sitting in here and there's a darkness that you're maybe sitting in. What are you maybe afraid of maybe that your family would see that this isn't the kind of church that your grandma would want you to go to, but you're here and you're maybe a little bit of afraid. Maybe you're afraid of the friends that you were potentially with last night and you don't want them to know that you were here. So you told them you were gonna go visit mom or dad this morning, but instead you came here and maybe you're living in, in that kind of fear. Maybe there's a, a level of pride. Pride of, of coming to Jesus and like, I can pick myself up by my bootstraps. I got this. I got my own strength. And there's a level of pride that kind of keeps us coming and sitting in, in the dark. Maybe it's a position. We see Nicodemus, like he was a respected teacher. He had social status. Maybe you are a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and you don't want anyone else to know that you're here, that you are checking out this Jesus thing, this church thing. Maybe that's why you're watching online right now is because you don't want anyone else to see that you are checking out, out church. Maybe it's something within your age. And you're like, well, I've been, I'm 80 now. So I, I just kind of got my own, I got my own ways, right? I got my own things that maybe I'm young, I'm, I'm 15 years old. And so I, I kind of come into Jesus at night. Maybe it's an insecurity 
that we would have, that we are sitting here in a place of maybe I don't even, I don't know enough about this. There's a knowledge barrier, or maybe you feel like you know too much. And so you just kind of want to come in the shadows, don't want to be seen, don't want to be known. Maybe there's a, a guilt or shame of the past that, man, if they knew that, I just feel like everyone's going to judge me. That when I walk into the room, boom, everyone's going to know. Lightning's going to strike, right? Because of, if, if they knew what I did, if they knew what I said or, or what I was trying to, there's a guilt and a shame and it causes us to come to Jesus, maybe even at night that we don't want anyone else to see or to know. Maybe like Nicodemus you're, you're curious about this Jesus, but you're not convinced about this Jesus. Maybe you're curious. You've seen the signs and wonders. You see Nicodemus, he would have seen from the crowds what Jesus was doing. He would have seen the shakeup in the families and in the, the communities that were around. And he was curious of this Jesus. We see what he says in, in verse 2. It says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come for God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. There's a, a level of curiosity of like, we kind of know, but, but nobody could do that without God. But, but maybe I'm not quite sure, and so I'm not convinced, so I'm going to come at, at night. I don't want anyone to see me. But something that he saw in the crowd made him curious. And he pursued that curiosity to the place where he had some, some courage. Courage enough to go to see Jesus himself. And the beauty of Jesus is that he will always meet us right there. When we seek him, we can find him. And he meets us in the physical but just like Nicodemus, he's also meeting in the emotional and the spiritual. Jesus won't just come and meet you here on a Sunday morning. He wants to do something within you as well. And so they're having this conversation, and Jesus is like, hey, you can't enter the kingdom without being born again. And Nicodemus is asking, like, what do you mean about being born again? Like, I can't enter my mother's womb. And can we just stop and say, that's a logical thought. Praise the Lord, right? Like, get weird up in here. But it's a part of our faith that sometimes can be tricky to understand, that we can be born again, right? Like, that we can, what do you mean? Like, we don't go and, hey, I'm going to finally reach my friend. I'm going to tell him my two-minute story. And we don't start off saying, hey, I, so I'm born again. Because that friend who doesn't know Jesus is like, you are who or what? What do you mean? Like, we don't start saying and talking in that space because let's just be real. It takes a, a, a heavenly boldness of our faith to truly understand what does it mean to be born again. But Jesus is teaching us, and he says, hey, like, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So Jesus, he's letting us in on some of these characteristics of the kingdom how we are a new creation through the birth of the Spirit that's, that's within us. And so he connects with Nicodemus. He's explaining these things to him. But one of the things that we know about Jesus is that Jesus, yes, he will meet you, but he has a deep desire to not leave you there. That he wants to have this transformational change in our lives. And so as he's teaching Jesus about light and dark, as he's kind of talking, hey, God so loved the world. He's talking about the generousness of the Father that's displayed in, in John chapter 3, verse 16. 
But then in verse 19, it tells us this, that this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now you see Jesus is kind of turning the page. He's like, yeah, yeah, you came to me at night, but check this out. I know that there's a darkness that's inside of you that's way darker than the night that can have. And so I'm going to speak to the emotional. I'm going to speak to the spiritual things here. And everything who does or everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly What they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus is speaking and teaching on this deep, convicting series of thoughts and truth, and it's starting to shake some things up with inside Nicodemus. Now, listen, we don't necessarily know how Nicodemus and Jesus left. Like, did Jesus, like, pray on him? Did he anoint him with oil? Did he kick him out? Like, we have no idea how they left the conversation, but what we do know is that whatever occurred there shook some things up with inside Nicodemus. How do we know this? How do we know this? Because in verse, or chapter 7, verse uh, 45, it says this, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Him meaning Jesus. This is the Pharisees, these religious leaders that were trying to, to get Jesus crucified and they were trying to like stop the madness and the shaking up of societies that they were, were going in. He's like, hey, why didn't you bring him in? And they replied, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, the Pharisees sitting in their pride of their knowledge of what they knew, then they say this, there's a curse on them. But our friend Nicodemus shows up in verse 50, and it says Nicodemus, again, John is writing in this distinction, he has gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number. So he's saying, hey, this is the Nicodemus who came to Jesus. This is the Nicodemus who was best friends. These would have been his bros. He was part of his, these are one of their number, meaning that they knew each other. What does Nicodemus say? He says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Nicodemus is probably feeling some pressure in this moment. Maybe have you been in that situation when you're around some coworkers? Maybe you're around some friends, and and some things are happening, and one of them says something, and you could easily just sit there and just be like, "Mm mm-hmm. Because there's pressure that you want to, Maybe say something because you know, I heard that that's not true and and that's not how things are to be. And so there's this tension and this pressure. But Nicodemus, what does he do? He takes a, a bold stand for Jesus. And saying something that would actually connect with the Pharisees. But he says something and he kind of slows the roll. He's like, hey, is our law not, like shouldn't we give this guy, like doesn't, don't we need to hear like what he would actually say. You see, Nicodemus, he wasn't just just chasing uh, the spiritual high of coming and meeting Jesus and living off of the Sunday morning or whatever time encounter. No, no, no. He was also taking a spiritual stand. 
Because he was in a moment when pressure was coming from all around, and it would have been just as easy for him to sit back, put his hands in his pockets, and let it happen. What did Pastor Colby say a couple weeks ago? Toleration breeds confusion. And it's not just necessarily what we tolerate on the outside that only affects the outside, it also affects the inside as well, because then we start to wonder, do I really believe what I know to be true? Do I actually, am I convinced? Am I, I convinced? And we can get kind of stuck in that space, but, but Nicodemus, he stands up and he starts to defend Jesus a little bit here, even in the midst of all of his friends, even in the midst of what was, was going on. And so we're seeing that his life was being stirred a little bit because prior to that, he probably would have just went along with it. But something is shaking inside of Nicodemus. And then we're gonna jump forward a few uh, more chapters to John chapter 19. This is in verse 38. This is Jesus. Uh, he's already put on trial by the religious leaders and the crowd shout and crucify him. He's accused, he's betrayed, he's been beaten, he's been crucified. He's hung up on the cross. But in verse 38, it says this, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus was, or now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. But with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Who was he accompanied by? Nicodemus. How does John write it? He says, the man who had earlier visited Jesus when? At night. What did Nicodemus bring? He brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds. And the rest of the scripture tells us that he was, uh, they, they wrapped him in linens and they ended up putting him into the tomb. See this, Nicodemus, let's track back in his story. He's a Pharisee who knows so much. He probably knew too much for his own good. You know those people? It's kind of like, you know too much. But he went from being in the crowd being able to see what Jesus was doing, maybe even yelling, who knows, at this Jesus. But he takes a step of courage and he meets Jesus in his fears and his anxieties and the pride of his life and the ability to maybe even being seen. He still steps out even within the darkness. And Jesus doing what he does, he connects, he meets him, he connects him, and he challenges him. He challenges them not necessarily on the physical level, but the spiritual, the emotional, the deeper level. And so we see Nicodemus didn't just take it, because he did something with it. He had the stirring in his life, and he defends Jesus amongst those that are closest to him. He publicly then is recognizing the kingship of Jesus, which by the way, if you don't want to be like known as someone who follows Jesus, you don't go to the most highly anticipated crucifixion of all time. But what does he do? He goes and he helps in the burial process. But what, what did the Bible say about, about Joseph of Arimathea? It said that he was, he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because why? Because he feared the Jewish leaders. Now, do you see that Nicodemus, who would have come to Jesus at night because of fear of being seen, is now helping someone who was living in that same kind of fear? What I need you to know today is that the greatest misery or the greatest obstacle that you are facing right now is the greatest ministry that God would want you to help and break someone through. He just needs you to move beyond it. 
And when you move beyond it, he can start to do something, something with it. Here's what we know. Jesus will meet you. Jesus will change you. And a changed you is a changed you. It's not to live in our old stuck ways. I've been changed. He was changed by Jesus, and he didn't just keep going in the same path that he was going in. No, he decided to change. He decided to stand up, to take a stand. He decided to worship Jesus by being there at the burial of Jesus. He decided to change. Why? Because he was changed. He moved everything he knew from the head, and he moved it down to its heart. And I believe that he was not just curious about Jesus anymore, but he was convinced in who he was. And I know we can rally around the idea of meeting Jesus, and we can rally around the idea of like, yeah, Jesus, change me. Like, bring revival within me until it's the one thing that we don't want him to change. And we can cause tension because we're like, Jesus, change me, just not this one thing. Don't change that part. I like that part. It's my favorite part. But Jesus wants to change us, not just from the outside, but from, from the inside. And it's one of the hardest hangups that we have. Following Jesus is doing something with what he's changed within us. And so this whole series, we've been talking about giving the way away the message of Jesus. We've been talking about what does it look like to reach our friends at school? What does it look like to reach our family members who are lost? What does it look like to reach our coworkers? And we're talking about, hey, just keep it simple, right? Know what he pulled you from and where he's pulling you towards. What's your two-minute story, right? Don't be the, the clanging gong, as Pastor Colby so beautifully illustrated last Sunday. Like, just keep it simple and keep everything about inviting someone to an opportunity opportunity to experience Jesus. What did Jesus come for? He came to seek and save the lost. He came for that. He came to seek and save the lost, but he's invited us to partner with him in that mission. And when we partner, we don't just take over all the saving. He's still the savior of the world, not us. And so what's our job? Our job is just to open up opportunities, open up pathways for people to step into the restoration that God would have for them. So if we know that Jesus changes us, then we need to change. Like we can't just know it, we need to actually do it. How many of us know that we need to start eating better? We know we need to start going to the gym, but how many of us are actually stepping forward and doing something with what we know? Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's doing something there. I love how James so beautifully illustrates this in James 2, 14 through 17. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's like, hey, Florida, stay dry. But what good would it be for us to just say something but not actually say, you know what? No, we're going to partner with an organization that's boots on the ground, that's taking action. It's not just say, hey, we can, yeah, yeah, I've got faith for that. 
but I'm not willing to put anything forward. What does it say in James 4.17? Or 2.17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Another version of the scripture says, God talk without God acts is nonsense. I can't just say I've got faith for it. I need to start taking some steps towards the faith that I say I have faith for. I've got to do something with this. So what keeps us from working out our faith? What holds us back from from moving from the the crowds to coming to see Jesus to doing something with it? What keeps us coming in every single Sunday, seeking, searching, praying for, but not doing anything with what's been revealed and given to us? Now, let me just make a really quick distinction. This is not a salvation issue. This is not. We don't work for salvation. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, who was beaten, crucified, buried, and risen from the dead because God so loved the world that he gave him that when we call on that name, the name above every other name, then we become saved. It's because everything he did for us, not us for him. But what this is is working out what he's done. In church, which is this is where we are, we call it sanctification. And it's a really churchy word, but it's the best word for it. It's saying, God, I know all that you've done for me, and so here we go. I'm gonna do something with it. I'm going to not just know you, God, I'm gonna make you known. I'm gonna work it out. I'm gonna start growing in my faith, in my relationship with you. Being sanctified means being set apart for his holy work. It means doing something there. What keeps us holding back? from doing something, it's the fear, right? It's all the things we mentioned earlier, fear, pride, position, our age. I'm too old for that. I'm too young for that. I know too much. I don't know enough to serve on that team. I don't know enough to join the small group. I've got this guilt and this shame that if someone actually sees me, I'm gonna be the light that exposes the evil, and that's gonna happen into my life. Well, praise God, because we can heal what's been revealed. And so we can break past this being curious, but actually becoming convinced that this is the best way to live. That doing something with this faith that we come every single Sunday to learn about and hear about and worship, it's not just for that, it's for every single day. So the reason why we look at Nicodemus, we we look through his fears, his insecurities, whatever anxieties he was facing, the pressures of the world. But what do we see? We see a person who came and encountered Jesus, did something with it. And he decided not to just be a follower of Jesus, but he decided to be a servant of Jesus as he's helping him, recognizing the kingship of who Jesus is by helping in the burial process. It's about not just coming to consume, but also contribute to do something with it. Like we know we should serve. We know we should reach out. We know we should be generous. We know we should love. We know we should invite people. We should share our story. We know we should be a part of the small group. We know, hey, it's the first Sunday of the month. We know they're gonna talk about crash course, but I would much rather just sit back and listen and hear and consume, consume, consume and not do anything with it. But God wants us to do something with what we've learned. It's actually taking the step forward. It's when we show that we're not just 
you know, treading water anymore, but we're convinced that this is the path forward for us. The Bible tells us in, in uh, I think it's First or Second Peter, well, obviously there's only two, First or Second Peter, I can't remember which one it is, that we are, 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 are uh, pulled from the darkness and we are saved into his wonderful light. Right, so, so he pulls us from the darkness into the marvelous light. A lot of times we want to get pulled from the darkness but not go into anything else. Thank you for saving me. Now I'm good. Check the box, get to heaven. But God would want us to do something else to go into his marvelous light. And every single one of us, we've been talking about this whole series, is that we realize that, hey, God has called us to be a part of the mission to seek and save the lost, which guess what? The unemployment rate of the kingdom is 0%. We all got a job. But how many of us are inactive but employed? Not doing anything with what God would have for us. And so as we wrap up, I just want to share with you just a few more quick scriptures just to kind of hone in on this idea of doing something. Not this just nighttime faith, but this night and day faith. In Matthew 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And I believe that Nicodemus was, was working through this as well. Says so he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must deny their fear, must deny their pride, must deny their social status, must deny their, their needs and wants and desires, no, 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 and to take up their cross and follow me. And you would never pick up your cross to a place of comfort. You would always pick up your cross because it was a place of combat. We are combating darkness and we are coming with the light of the world. And it says this, that for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, not just loses their life, but loses their life for me. What was Nicodemus doing? He wasn't just you know, part of the morgue team. He was doing something, going in the most highly anticipated crucifixion of all time, putting himself out there because he knew it wasn't about what he was doing. He knew it actually wasn't even about what he was bringing. He knew it was all about the person that he was doing it for. He knew it was all about Jesus. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it to gain the whole world? What good is it to have everything, to be in a place of comfort, yet forfeit your soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For God, or the Son of Man, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then will reward each person according to what they have done. What we do matters. What we, we do matters. We can't just want to meet Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and not do anything with the change that he gave us. We need to follow in his example. His example is that he came to seek and save the lost, yes, but it says, for even the Son of Man in Mark 10 did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom of many. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus is the restorer of everything to the Father. It's the most inclusive thing we have. You go to one person to have a relationship 
with the Father. He came for that and he's invited us to partner with it. And again, we don't restore people, only Jesus does. But what we do is we pave the way. We clear a path. Parking team in the parking lot waving to you, it's clearing a path. It's breaking something down. Somebody opens the door for you. Is that the most pretty job in the world? No, it's opening a door, but it's clearing a path. Back in the kids' area, teaching them about Jesus on their left, it's clearing a path. Worshiping up here, being on the band or production, it's clearing a path. Serving at the Erie City Mission or wherever, it's clearing a path. It's inviting someone into the opportunity to have their life changed. So this morning, I believe that there's been a shaking in all of our lives. That maybe, just maybe, we need to recalibrate some things. And refocus, and, and, and refocus in not necessarily maybe on what we're doing, but who we're doing it for. See, God will always initiate, and it's just up for you, it's up for me to respond. Make no mistake about it, he will meet you. He will change you. But don't just stop there because a changed you is a changed you. I once was this way, but no longer am anymore. I've been changed. Let me pray that you would, Father, we come before you in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that as we we read and as we learn, Father, as we even just open up your word, God, you are doing something within inside every single one of us. And so, Father, I pray that every single person under the sound of my voice, whether they're online, they're in the room, they're listening to the podcasts, Father, I pray that they would be challenged in their change. God, that they would not just come to have this encounter with you, but God, that they would want to do something with what you've given them, Father. So I'm praying for a spirit of boldness to overcome fear. I'm praying for a spirit of, of, of courage to overcome any anxiety maybe that they may have about stepping out, about being seen into the light. Father, I pray for every single person. God, would that flee the name of Jesus? Would it rise up a spirit of boldness and confidence and courage? And Father, even right now in our time together, Father, we know that there's a, there are lives that have been shaken up, seeking and searching, God, for who you are. Father, there are people that are in this room that are online, that are curious of who you are. And this entire time, you've been just knocking at the door, ready to meet them. Maybe you're in this room, you're, you're online, and you know that You've never come to know Jesus. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You've been trying and seeking and searching in any place throughout the world, but you can't fill a God-sized hole with anything but God. And so maybe in our time this morning, there are those of you who wanna say yes to Jesus. You wanna put your faith in Jesus. You want to, to come out of the crowd, but yet into the light, the light of the world, to see what would Jesus, how can he save me? To believe and to be convinced that he can save you. 
by faith. The Bible tells us that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe it in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, that God so loved the world that he came for you. So you don't have to have this monotonous life that just ends, but you have a, a life that can spend eternity with, king, with the God in the kingdom. So if that's you, I just wanna pray a prayer. I wanna encourage you, if you can repeat after me, you can yell it out loud, but I wanna encourage you to fight back the pressure that maybe you're feeling even in this, this moment to stay silent. Maybe you'd be like Nicodemus and it would be time for you to speak up and to stand up for what God is doing in your life. You can say something as simple as this. You can say, God, I know that you love me and today I receive your love. Jesus, I believe that you've died for me on the cross to forgive me of my sins. You were raised again to give me a new life. Today I turn from my sin and I return to you. Father, I receive your free gift of salvation. Today I confess you as Lord and Savior and I choose to follow you, Jesus, with all that I am. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, can we give it up for every single person who crossed that line of faith this morning? Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.